Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Welcome to the Film Board, the movie conversation podcast reviewing the latest releases that you've seen and want to talk about. My name is Ocean, and I am the host of the Film Board podcast. And on this episode, we are talking about Marvel's The Eternals. 
Five years ago, Thanos erased half of the population of the universe. But the people of this planet brought everyone back with a snap of a finger. The sudden return of the population provided the necessary energy for the emergence to begin. How long do we have? Seven days. We're Eternals. We came here 7,000 years ago to protect humans from the deviants. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos or any war or all the other terrible things throughout history? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless deviants are involved. By who? Well, good evening, uh, gentlemen. Today I am uh, chatting with uh, JJ, host of the trailer Rewind. Hello. And uh, Pete Wright, host of the next reel. Which eternal would you be, though? I think I might be Kumail Nanjani. Can I just be him? I would just like to be him. I, I, so I'm handsome. Cheap out and say I'm Dane. Oh, okay. Dane okay. Excellent. You're a post-credit uh, yes. superhero. Outstanding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I I'd want to I'd want to be uh Druid for about 5 minutes, but I think I'm just going to go with Icarus cuz I mean like look, if I can fly and shoot lasers out of my eyes, I think that's really all I've ever wanted in life. What more does a gentleman so, need? Just eliminate yeah, all human emotion. I think that's, you know, probably something that you want to <laughs> do. You know too, what? I, I I think that's win-win-win uh, right there across. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. I I've yet to hear the negative of any of that. I I want I want to fly and shoot lasers out of my eyes and be impervious, impervious to have my feelings hurt. I mean, that's really three superpowers right there. So I'm, I'm ready. All right. Um, so uh, let's uh, let's first uh, talk for a second about to set the bar of what we think of uh, without diving into the movie. Uh, tell us what you. Uh, already knew about the movie and what your expectations were of the Eternals going in. I went in uh, expecting the worst. I thought it was going to be absolute chaos because it's too many people that we've never met with zero tie to the rest of the universe. And I was almost all right. (laughs) (laughs) Without okay. diving into the movie, Pete. Without, Without diving into the movie. So, okay, so that's what you wanted to explain. What did you did you know anything, or is that also uh, a mirror what you knew about the Eternals going in? You just weren't weren't as familiar with these characters. Okay. Uh, very, okay. very little. No, no, no. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I knew very little going into it, and and I mean, I had read up it, and I I've started reading the Eternals run, the the most recent Eternals reboot run, uh, Eternals number one, and um, I I've I've learned a lot uh, in a very short amount of time that sort of influences my opinion about the movie, and uh, so I knew very little. It felt like a reach, uh, like a swing of a film, and uh, it it does, if nothing else. It provokes in me a great curiosity about what they could possibly be doing next. So uh, I'll leave it at that and we'll dive into detail. That is a great transition, Pete, because what Pete just said is that it left him with a great curiosity about what they can do with these characters that we met. And I think 
for me, that's what I expected, right? That if I set the bar, I expected an origin story that was going to set us up for the next phase. That's what Marvel calls them, right? The phase of what Marvel's doing. Um, and uh, I expected to meet characters and like them and feel an affinity towards them and be interested in, let's use Pete's words again, a great curiosity about what they're going to do with these folks going forward. That was the bar that I had going in. And I'll leave that without diving into the movie. Yes, without diving into the movie. All right. I think that we are going to be three for three here in, um, I had a lot of ignorance about these characters. I I can, uh, I really consider myself a fan of Marvel comics and what they do, but I also, I've never really been too much, paid too much attention to their cosmic stories, right? You know, I mean, Infinity War I knew already, but then also that was partly, partially because of a, such a huge crossover with the Earth's heroes part of Infinity War. Uh, but beyond that, I just, so I didn't know anything about about the Eternals, I hadn't really heard. I hadn't heard of them before. Um, I knew nothing, and so what I expected um, going into the movie, a um, uh, visually, I expected it to be great, uh, and then uh, b beyond that, I did just look at it as I expected. Okay, well, I'm going to learn about these characters, and hopefully, they suck me in for what they're doing for the uh, for part of the next few phases of Marvel. Please uh, join our online community with fellow movie lovers on the truestory.fm Discord server. Uh, you can join for free at thenextreel.com slash Discord. If you like what we're doing here, why not become a supporting member? Visit thenextreel.com slash membership to learn about the benefits, members-only Discord channels, show live streams, and more. All right, here's where I would normally go through an overview of the story. But I think for this story, it's really just an origin story, right? It, it introduces us to 11 or 9 uh, new MCU characters that you'll be seeing over the next couple phases. Uh, so I think that really we probably, it, it makes more sense to kind of uh, really talk about this movie in the, in the context of all the characters that are being introduced, right? So instead of, you know, let's just talk about the major ones first and kind of what we think about not only their introduction, but... But, you know, how you felt about their character, their story arc, and what you think they're going to provide to the MCU, right? So the, the, first, the first character that is the most obvious character to talk, talk about is Cersei, right? So, uh, you know, Cersei is, is really our heroine throughout, the, throughout this movie and really got what, kind of what I would view as the, or not kind of, actually is who I view as, as the lead character throughout this, right? It starts, the movie opens, you know, in, in a, um, it is the quick flashback scene of, you know, hey, there's these, you know, the, the, the nine Eternals and that they're coming to Earth and isn't Earth beautiful? But once I really started looking at the characters, it's Cersei. Uh, they introduce you to, um, Kit Harrington's character, uh, a Dane, who is her presumed love interest. You don't really know because he's teaching a course in a class, and then she's teaching a class and kind of shows some of her powers and abilities when they, when, when an earthquake happens, right? And then the story progresses from there, introducing her, some of her friends and what her life is in modern times before it goes through the several different flashbacks of this movie, which it, which you really can't talk about without just talking about the movie as a whole. So I think that I just wanted to start first with, you know, so JJ, what your impressions were of, you know, the introduction of Cersei as a character 
and then how you felt as her progression about her progression throughout the film. Well, I like that you're choosing to do it this way uh, because I think you know there are so many characters, and it is really important to kind of to know what you're doing with them. And I think that one of the difficulties that I really have with the film is that I didn't really know throughout. And so I think it's completely appropriate for us to talk about Cersei first. She is, she does become the, the focal point of the entire story for us. But I don't think I recognized that for a good portion of the film. I couldn't tell who the movie was about it within the Eternals other than this group. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, all the different people that they cast in these roles. I didn't know where my my focus was supposed to be. I mean, ultimately, in the backstory that they give you when they talk about the, the origin story, they kept talking about the sort of prime eternal, right? And that was Ajax. And so I, and that was Selma Hayek. So I felt like, okay, this is my person. I never really caught who this other person was supposed to be. So I think, uh, I think Cersei, uh, is it Gemma Chan? Is that how you say her name? Is that is that and, how you say uh, the I, I actress's name? Correct. So yes, I think so. she did a fantastic job of of sort of delivering what it was on this character. But I was so confused throughout the story about w- whether I was supposed to be sort of, as an audience member, looking at her as my main protagonist, or if I was supposed to be feeling something else. And a lot of that was confusion because of the different flashbacks and people die, but then we're flashing back to when they were alive. It, I was, I was very, I was spun very confused through a lot of the movie. So I think she makes for a fine heroine by the time we get to the end, by the time we get to, to, to resolve what the story is about. But I was confused through most of the movie about where I felt about the decisions that she was making. Yeah, I found that I, I, I guess that to me, it, it seemed like she was Cersei was the main character from the from the beginning. Okay, uh, since we spent so much time with her early on, and, and then you know, also that you know, yes, Ajax was the prime was the prime one, but her her character seemed to be doing some of the same things at least a lot in the first bit. Like she just seemed to be kind of like you know, someone has to be in charge, so that's who who it is. Um, so did you, so Pete, did you find that you had that same weren't sure about the focus of the, Cersei was the main character, or were you dialed into her from the beginning? Um, I, I think I, I like Gemma Chan a lot, and, and I find her a, a very charismatic actor. And so I, I'm just naturally just drawn to her on screen. And so I wanted her to be someone that we should follow. And I felt like there was such a confusing sort of orbit around her with different characters not effectively asserting enough screen dominance for me that I didn't know if they really wanted me to pay attention to to Cersei, right? I mean, we know that Salma Hayek's character, Ajax, that she was, you know, she wore the crown, right? Like, she literally right. was at the very top, and she had the thing coming out of her chest, the, the golden droplet. So, that, uh, we know know that she is the functional leader but she dies so early right. in the movie that it's hard to make sense of who's going to pick up the slack and for a very long time and so i i just didn't feel like it was enough of a commitment on behalf of the film to Gemma Chan as the person that we're supposed to really care about apart from her you know uh, sort of leading the charge of finding everybody with um, with Richard Madden's Icarus and I, I don't know. Is he next? Do we get to talk about him next? Yeah, yes, he is. Abs- he is absolutely next. Now, it's actually part of the uh, kind of the back and forth about what I was going to lead into him was how with Cersei, how she, her character really, really, especially for the first, let's say, thirty minutes or so of the movie, delves a bit more, uh, more into her 
actual life, right? Beyond just being a hero that's fighting, uh, you know, deviants, right? Most of the other ones, they're, they're, most of the other characters, at least in the first, at least 45 minutes or so of it, are all, you know, he, uh, action heroes that have, they're displaying their different powers and cool set pieces, but their main fo- focus is to fight the deviants and then they take Ajax's orders. Where with Cersei, we were learning about her, her personal life, her friendship, and then also the, uh, apparently 5,000 year marriage she had with Icarus. <laughs> you know, can I, can I, is a can long I take time for anyone? Any it's couple. so long. Right, you know, can so I take long. just a little side, side journey, Absolutely. Uh, which, which I think sets up my, my framework for this movie and why I, I'm challenged by it. When we set out to do the Marvel movie minute and Andy and I set out for season one, episode one of Iron Man, we were yeah. really approaching like, what is Marvel doing to ground these superhero characters in the world that we live in so that we'll come along for the ride, right? And we titled, I think it was the very first episode, we titled it, you know, you have to earn your wizards, right? You have to earn your wizards. And that's what Iron Man did. They set up this grounding element. It's based in machines and parts and science and electricity. And and yes, there were some hand-wavy makeup energy things, but ultimately it's a guy in a robot suit. And that led us to all of the superhero stuff that eventually I think we successfully buy because of all the groundwork that they laid up front. And then they could take lots of shortcuts because we had a language that we could share and eventually we get to Doctor Strange and multiverses and we're kind of okay we with in. that. Be- we all bought yeah, into that be- early stuff. Because yeah. they took us right into it. And now, after all of that grounding effort they gave us, they end up with a 7,000 year history of these Eternals that have been here all along and they have weapons that come out of nowhere and they some of them fly and they have Superman beams and they introduce Superman into the Marvel Universe. That was awesome. But ultimately, (laughs) this movie did not earn its wizards. I just don't feel like it was grounded enough to earn. There was so much on screen all the time in a very long-winded attempt to try to build relationships in this team that were largely fractured, that ultimately, by the time we get to the end, I just didn't care. Right. So, well, and I think it's interesting, Pete, I want to say, you know, I want to go back to what Ocean said about the cosmic universe versus the non-cosmic Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? Because I think in, I was the same way in reading the comic books that I I didn't really pay attention to the cosmic things, but the, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are some of my favorite movies because they did what you're suggesting in those movies. Yeah. They made us earn those you know, I, I, I want to call them something different than wizards to kind of separate them. But the reality is I I believed in who those people were, even when they were, you know, a talking raccoon and a, and a tree that said three words. Though They did the work in the Guardians movies to get us there. That is not present in this movie. That There yeah. is, you know, that overture of them fighting a bunch of deviants and with some exposition did not. It, it endear me to any of the characters, nor did it help me understand their place or their power in the world. And that was something that was so such a struggle for me throughout this movie is I didn't get who they were, what they were doing, or why they were doing it. 
Well, JJ, on that point, do you feel like part of the challenge that this movie has is that it is so disconnected from the rest of the Marvel setup? Because I could not help but feel that would, that a conversation around dinner when they're talking about, you know, Tony Stark and Captain America, Steve Rogers, like that's not enough to remind me that this is a Marvel movie. It right. didn't feel like a Marvel movie. It felt like completely new characters in a totally different universe that that just like it just wasn't enough. Well, in Ocean and I talked about Shang-Chi, right? And some of the greatest things about Shang-Chi is that they did that connective tissue right in Shang-Chi. You had these new characters that you that they did the sort of world building that was appropriate for them, but then you also had connective tissue that you believed in. And this felt so disjointed and felt so disconnected. I, I completely agree with you. I it it felt like it was com- it, it, completely separate from everything we've learned in, in the 20 odd movies before this. Well, did it, did it feel connect disconnected? And this is what, what I'm, what I'm curious about. Then. Did it feel the way because they were on earth, right? You know, no, cause I, I, I understand what you're saying about Guardians of the Galaxy um, sure. in terms of how how was, you know, and it's one of my favorite of the Marvel movies, too. It's, it's great, right? But I see what you're saying about it, but I, I feel that it, too, is, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy felt very separate and apart. I mean, it helped with Peter Quill being human, so you kind of have that little link. But, you know, you're introducing all these characters and all these worlds and everything, but they're not on Earth, right? And so then, so... So I think you're kind of willing to go with it a bit more because it's not like a familiar surrounding. It's not like, you know, here where, you, you know, all these, the Eternals are having what they're doing and they're doing it in London. And you're like, well, I've been to London, right? You know, you know, so, so I'm wondering, you know, so I, I'm curious about like, is, is that really the, yeah. the source of the disconnect? Because I feel that with the introduction of, once they introduced the Guardians and Nowhere and Thanos and the Collector and all those other, you know, the, I can't remember the, oh goodness, uh, Jeff Goldblum's amazing character in Ragnarok. Once they introduced Ragnarok, right? And all the stuff you have there. I mean, in Ragnarok, they have a talking rock, right? You, you know, and so yeah. they, you, you know, so if you're introducing, when you, once you introduce all those things, don't the Eternals really, this this what I find, I feel that they fit in the universe, but I felt that, you know, for me, maybe the disconnection was just that it felt weird that they were on Earth. Well, I, I don't, I, to me, that's not really the, the issue because there are all kinds of crazy things happening on Earth in cities where I have, have experienced parts of my life. My challenge, I think, gets back to the the seminal story arc of the first 20-some-odd movies, which leads us up to Infinity War and Endgame. And that is, why the hell didn't you do anything when Thanos, a non-human agent came and introduced conflict to this planet. That seemed like a ridiculous thing that they were going to have to address, and this movie did not address that to my satisfaction. It felt foolish. It felt like they hadn't seen those movies. (laughs) It was silly. But these these characters are set up to not care about that. But but Ocean, the problem I'm walking away with here is that they this is a thing somehow that triggered them to have a conscience. This made them have a conscience and Thanos coming and snapping half of the population of the universe away did not make them have a conscience that I don't believe. But wouldn't that presuppose that they would have to have have previous knowledge of Thanos? Because Thanos, once it was done, yeah, that kind of sucks. But then we're back to the mission. Right. They're viewing this as a long term, just the mission of getting intelligent life on Earth. You cut the population in half. They're like, okay, well, now we'll just get back to what we're doing and build it back up. Right. And that's, but that's it. They're not, 
they're not there to protect. They're not there to protect. So them. are they replicants or are they or are they characters we're supposed to care about? Because I mean, I I, I get your point, but if they're just replicants, then then I still don't care about them. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, <laughs> like what they taught us through the mythology of this movie is we don't need to care about Eternals because while they are so powerful, they have a single robotic purpose in the universe. And when they if they defy that purpose, they're still not going to be a part of the universe is basically how I felt when watching this movie. It's, right. It, and if you're going to tell me they're replicants and they're going to Rick Deckard their way up into their mountain hideaway and actually discover that they're they're robots with a soul, then why did they have to wait for this event to happen and not when this universe changing event happened? I just that's the part that. Makes no sense to me. Yeah, it's yeah I, guess, I guess I, I, I again, I guess I just counted into that that universe changing event didn't alter their mission. This event would change and actually end their mission, right? But, but so their mission, I, I do that to be it's different. Self service well, on the part I, of the yes. I, I don't, I don't think that they're on Earth to protect humankind as much as to just grow it because effectively while they may not have consciously understood it and over time hope they seem to have, at least i i think they tried to denote they evolved over time to understand earth and humans differently you are effectively, correct effectively they were just they, effectively they were just you know like uh, basically they're basically like sharecroppers they're they're planting yeah. seeds in a, in, a, in a field to grow an energy resource for a plant that will eventually be born and while right? that is true Yes. The thing that that inspired them to defy that plan was those humans. So, I mean, they had the chance to save half the universe before, but now it's just the destruction of the planet that got them to defy this prime directive. It feels unearned. they failed their mission before. Right. right? Like, why was there no uh, like I, I just feel like and this is this is very much a Watsonian versus uh, um, doyleist. a uh, doyleist discussion. Right. Because my problem is not with what you're saying, Ocean. It's with Marvel not sufficiently addressing this issue that they made me stop and think about it. And that is the biggest thing mistake you can make in a movie like this, because once I stop and think about something that doesn't work in the movie, I'm going to start noticing. Noticing everything that doesn't Picking work in the movie. Apart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's my challenge. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that, and that can be challenging because there are certain things that don't that do and do not work in this movie. And so then uh taking it from the macro down back to the mic to the micro P, why don't you uh, what do you what did you think did and did not work about the relationship between Cersei and Icarus as it was as it was shown on screen? Well, I mean, you know, it was fine. They had sex in a Marvel movie on a beach. <laughs> it was it was great. They have more sex in Marvel movies. I'm I'm I am a sex positive superhero guy. Uh, so that's fine. I thought he was just a drip of a casting choice uh, in this movie. And now that I've read some of the comics, I I realize that the the whole part is a drip. But that I, I just feel like they you know when you take the comic character and put it on screen, you have an opportunity to level up. And uh, Richard Madden was not a uh, level up. I was not directed to level this up it was um it was not an entertaining watch and he i think should have been 
one of the most, like next to Athena or uh, Athena in terms of just dramatic on-screen appeal and uh, acrobatics and flying and rays coming out of the eyes. Like this should have been spectacular. And I was never once elevated to spectacular levels. With right, him. But then I guess then, so I don't know, JJ, if you have the similar feeling that I had with it when I, when I first saw Icarus, not only on screen, uh, not only in the previews, but also on screen and the way the character was being portrayed, that it felt like Cyclops from the X-Men, if he could fly. Right. And, mm. and Cyclops should be as cool as Captain America, but he's not. Right. And mm. it's just, he's a different kind of guy. And so, d- did you have that similar impression, you know, being an X Men, uh, X Men comic and well, Marvel I didn't think of it that way. Think and about, yeah, that way th- that it would be, th- then the character would be more forgivable. So, I'm actually a big Cyclops fan in the X Men universe. And I didn't, I feel like if you want to compare the two characters, I think that Cyclops has things that he cares about, whereas Icarus was very clearly a, a robot. <laughs> he he had no personality. He had no nothing to him other than what his purpose was. And it, I feel like that was by design. But unfortunately, through the film, when he is our secondary character, if we call Cersei the primary character, and Icarus is our secondary character, it leaves the whole movie feeling very flat because he, I feel no dramatic movement with him. I, I, I'm on no journey with Icarus because he's not letting me into anything that he has. He feels so bland and so boring that it just didn't bring me anywhere with him. And I didn't feel bad for Cersei not being with him. I, I questioned more why she would want to be married to the guy for 5,000 years. Because you know? <laughs> he I, I, can shoot lasers out of his eyes and fly. I, I mean, guess. Just, <laughs> Let's just I mean, say like, what the truth I, is. Yeah. I, look, I, 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 while watching the movie, I looked at my wife and I said, you know what? I would love... See, this is the benefit of being able to shoot lasers out of your eyes and fly. You can do... You know, you can, you can, you can get... You can get and look like Richard Madden, for I guess, too. Years. You yeah. can... Yeah, you can just say, hey, I, I kind of like you. You're beautiful. And then like, oh, let's get married. You know, that's how it works. Because you can shoot lasers out of your eyes and fly. I don't, I guess I found that my, I'm on a different, I, I felt differently about the, the uh, especially Icarus than, uh, than, than both of you. I, I, while I did not, there, I did have quibbles with the character of Cersei for various reasons. Um, for Icarus, I, I just felt that, in a sense, he was a great character for what he was, even even if he isn't entirely what I would necessarily draw up in my, if I was making him up on my own or what I want him to be. But he was very much, he had a code about his mission and that's what he was about and he did. And he had, you know, he, he was kind of a stoic presence. And then when he did learn the truth earlier than everybody else, you know, because kind of he has two decisions. I can tell everybody the truth and then that kind of does ramifications and upsets them in ways he doesn't know. Or I can say, okay, I care about my friends. And so I'm just going to take on this on my own. Right. And I'll just leave these people and then let them live in their bliss until they can't anymore. And then at that point, I'll tell them, but let them have these next, you know, however many hundred years or so of, of happiness. And I, and I just, I didn't view that as a negative part of his character. I feel the more it's like it's a continuation of his very stoic private nature and that he felt that he needed to take on the burden of truth and save his friends from it. Well, save his friends in what way? I mean, ultimately, I mean, I I, I hear w- with what you're saying and I, I, I like the, the comparison you're drawing to Cyclops in that regard, thinking that his duty is, is higher than the other thing. But ultimately, when the major part of the plot is someone just not telling someone something for hundreds of years when that could have changed everything, 
anything. I just feel like that's not a very strong story. Right. Well, I, I guess I, I see your point with that as far as the story as a whole, but whether or not you think that would have changed, I, I just look at it and change their life, right? Because he he took it on so they could have a, a happiness in their life for that next hundred years. And that he felt that it, it was his, it was my it's my burden. It's my burden to take it on because they don't really want to know. So let's not tell. I think he was doing it because he realized that they would have sided with Ajax. I think that's why. Yeah. I think that's yeah. why he do it, did it. I don't think he did it for their for their benefit at all. I think he did it for the benefit of the mission. Well, then I guess that, I think it's a perfect segue then, Pete, to to, to Ajak and her and her character. So you know, so Ajak Ajak knows that these are these are basically humans are fodder for food all along, right? So so, but throughout the course of the movie, even though she's you know Sama Hayek plays Ajak, and, and 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 honestly, I I too felt that she died too soon. But then you know, I I feel that I, I really enjoy most everything Sama Hayek does, and so I was like, well, you need to have more Sama Hayek in every movie. Agreed. Um, yeah, but when she you, died. You know, I was like what? No, should, exactly. More like, well, yeah, more Sama Hayek, right? So, but then, it, it, but she's now given, in a sense, credit for changing her mind over the course of centuries, right? And that we're now saying that necessarily uh, Icarus should have then come to that position sooner, right? And so then for Ajak and, and her and kind of her story and her through line, then P, did you think that she should be the sympathetic person she seemed to be? She get credit for at the end, or really the cold-hearted person she clearly was for 5,000 years? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I'm all about redemption stories. I think this was a missed opportunity because I think she she did come to a point of grief, of her, you know, sort of servitude to the Celestials and her awareness that this whole thing has been going on the whole time and what her, her real sort of role was, her function was. And, uh, and, and I feel like she was killed at, right at the point that we... Um, that we should have gotten that redemption story from her, that we should have gotten to see her give us a make good uh, that was, you know, this is where my my grief lies. It, frankly, the fact that Icarus flew himself into the sun was, while being wildly on the nose for my taste, I think a misplaced opportunity. It should have been Ajak. It should have been Ajak redeeming herself through the course of this movie and then you know, sort of sacrificing her own life so that she can't be resurrected. That was my assumption that, you know, why Icarus did that was so that he wouldn't be resurrected somehow. But um, that that she could make that sacrifice because she was the leader. And we never got any of that sort of boldness from Cersei's mantle. So I, I really think Selma Hayek is a case study in missed opportunity in uh, this movie. Yeah, I agree fully. I, I I think she ends up getting used. The character ends up getting used in this as a vehicle to tell the story that they wanted to tell, as opposed to really looking at her character and what could be gained by having the character story on screen. Yeah, yeah. So then, um, since we talked about the main, the at least the three of who I think are the four main characters, the the other one that seems to be just sprinkled about to me is well, there really is two, but the first one is Sprite, right? And and so you know she's. Trapped in the body of a what a fifteen-year-old girl, um, roughly uh, you know about a fifteen-year-old girl, teenager, that, yeah, young a teenager. teenager, right, right. She's trapped in the body of a teenage girl to live for thousands of years, and so it's it's an interesting. I think not only in the the way the character because that that this was the probably the first character that made me think was that 
okay, we've built these beings and we're going to put them on a planet and populate people that are similar to them and then have one of them who never ages but stays at a teenage, stays a teenager all the time where, where people will easily notice after five or six years, hey, how come you haven't aged? Right. Whereas with adults, it usually takes about 15, 20 years before you realize that they haven't aged. Right. And so, but, uh, you know, the one thing about uh, the Sprite's character, and I think this deals uh, also with uh, more about the relationships you're building in this, Pete. And so how did you feel uh, about the, I guess, you know, almost mini love triangle uh, between Sprite and Icarus and Cersei, even though Icarus and Cersei had no idea they were in one, right? <laughs> that that they, 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 they kind of just threw in there. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, this girl loves you, right? Which is, you know, I thought, okay, he has, he can shoot lasers out of his eyes and fly. And so did I mention that that yeah. usually works, right? That usually so works. Did, that usually right. works. So did you, did you feel that that was, you know, again, is this part of the problem of things that were not earned or did you feel that, okay, well, this small thing I can accept? I, I actually, I, I found it touching uh, because of, I think first and foremost, Leah McHugh playing this, this role. I think she was delightful. I, I, uh, I really do like what she brought to the screen, to this character, to the, the character of the eternal youth, um, which was, you know, the model for, you know, why the Celestials built her the way they did. And to her sort of recognizing that she was effectively cursed, right? This was, this was the, the, this was her, her mantle to bear. Uh, and, and I actually think that when, uh, Kingo comes and says, you know, I, I, I see what's going on here, right? It's the Peter Pan story. Um, and, and they have their little moment in the woods, uh, that I, I think that was a touching reminder of her role as Tinkerbell to Icarus that, you know, she's flitting around, but he'll never, he doesn't notice her. What I what strikes me is that, you know, when you when you read the comic, at least and again, not an eternal scholar, but it appears to me that the relationship between Sprite and Icarus is much more um, uh, compelling and complicated and interesting. And uh, part of it is because of how Icarus is written. Part of it is how Sprite is portrayed in the books. It did not translate as well, I don't think, to this experience, uh, to the cinematic experience. And part of it might be because we have so many characters. It plagues us again. Trying to get to know any individual character is a real chore without doing the reading. Uh, and, and I think it makes it just more cumbersome to feel like the, that relationship is, is worthy of our attention. They had to have known that, right? I mean, going into this movie, well, first of all, just casting all of these people is 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 intense. How can you give them enough screen time? But all of these characters, like how they have to know that that's got to be an issue. I'm sure they know it's they, obviously. Yeah, I think they had to know it's an issue, and I think that the the main crux of the movie still. In, in my mind is, you know, the, the story of, you know, it's kind of Cersei coming into her own, uh, story of Icarus and his choices. And then, you know, the, for lack of a better term, the fall of Ajax, right? Like those are the main, that's to me, that's, that's kind of summarizing the main part of this origin story that they're providing. Um, and, and I felt that and characters like Sprite or like Kingo, who, uh, you know, Kingo was, uh, great. Uh, that the actor uh, whose name I I was 
mispronounced, yeah. but it's uh, this Kumail uh, Nanjiani. Nanjiani. Is it Nanjiani or Nan? Okay. Nan- Nanjiani. Nanjiani. Yes. Yeah, Kumail okay, Nanjiani. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Kumail, Kumail Nanjiani was great in it. I, I I loved. I actually did love that and and found his character for me to to have a little bit of attachment of understanding. Hey, so he realizes he's not going to age. He decides he's going to create an an acting dynasty, family dynasty, basically being <laughs> his own great grandfather, grandfather, father, and then now it's him, right? And he just realizes that he wants to, um, you, you know, be, be an actor and, and, and loves to entertain people and, and be adored the way an actor is adored, right? And so, uh, and so I don't know, JJ, did you also find him to be a, a nice, pleasant departure from the gloom and doom of the rest, a, a gloom and doom of kind of what was going on with our main characters? Or did you just kind of find him as in a piece of either uh, other forgettable characters in this movie? Well, I like Kumail Nanjiani quite a bit. And I, I, what I especially liked about the Kingo character was his relationship with his valet, Karun. That relationship was fantastic. And that, I think, is kind of a... It, 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 the way I felt about the majority of the relationships in this in this movie is that their relationships with humans were far more interesting than their relationships with each other. And the dynamics between the Eternals meant very little to me. But the dynamics about what they cared about in the world and what was leading them to make the decisions is what I wanted more of. I mean, I could get more of Cersei with Dane Whitman. I could get more of Kingo with Karun. I could get more of Fastos with his husband, too. I, that, that's the stuff that was interesting to me. Anytime we tried to understand the dynamics, the cosmic dynamics of the Eternals and 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 who they were and, and what they cared about, that completely lost me. And I think it's interesting that we're going into this and, and we're not even mentioning the Deviants at all <laughs> because, you know, I, I think that is supposed to be the crux of, you know, what they're there to do. And 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 it reminds me of the, the movie that everybody talks about that they hate in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is Thor to the Dark World, where, you know, when the main bad guys are just these fake things that are just toss away things, because ultimately the deviants become that thing and they wanted to use them as something bigger. But again, it's all of that. Those cosmic dynamics meant nothing to me in this movie. But like we talked about with Kingo, I mean, I I love Kingo with Karun, and Karun became one of the more interesting characters to me in the entire movie. The most emotional moment for me is when Karun steps away and says, it's been an honor serving with you people who have, you know, protected us over all these years. Like, I was like, oh, there we go. There's human emotion. That's what I needed here. <laughs> let's get rid of the robots and let's just deal with the humans here for a second. So, yeah, I found his humor to be wonderful, but that's that's really Nanjiani's execution for me. I I, I like his, his sense of humor and things, but other, otherwise, I mean, I mean, the the robot dynamics did do, did nothing for me, unfortunately. I I think that's really uh, great. And I again, it, you know, if Salma Hayek is the the principal actor uh, in our you know play missed opportunity with Marvel, uh, Kumail Nanjiani is is the the second act because uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but he walks out because he says I don't agree with you, and then is gone in the final fight. Right? He's not there. Is do you have any memory of there. him coming back yeah, and joining the fight? There. He's not there. He's not he go? there. He was he was peeved because so he just he said I because yeah, he, because, he just well, yeah because he said even even with my help we're not it's Icarus we have no chance so he did yeah. but but why so does he, he disappear he can't disappear I didn't because even notice that, that. Was, oh my god that, yeah, was, his, that was that was his position. <sighs> But, yeah. th- but that was it's his position. Not, he was like, again, that, yeah. Doyleist right. perspective, though, that's a crappy use of an actor and a character that you've yes. just spent the last 90 minutes telling us is important for some reason when you're making ostensibly a team movie. Right. 
right? That's crappy use of a character. It's bad. It's bad movie making when you're building a superhero team. It's just wrong. And I it's wrong headed on every way. The way the the final uh, the climactic act of this movie was was built out. It was just clumsy. And I I you know, that I, I think does some of that has to come back on Chloe Zhao at not having the experience of the of uh, building a story of this size. I, and I can't wait to hear JJ talk about the look of the movie. But uh, <laughs> because it, it, but uh, the the actual architecture of the movie, I think Kumail Nanjani is an example of one example of why it's just clumsy to build a superhero movie like that. But before we move on to another another point of that, I want to dive uh, delve a little deeper. What you said there that it's not a good way to build a superhero team, and, and I guess that that was and and maybe this is where I'm coming at this a bit differently. You can tell me if you uh, see it the same way or not, uh, Pete. In that I, I didn't view them as a team, right? I mean, they're a group of people that effectively. Uh, the thing they have in common effectively is that they're the same species of, of being, right? They, they, other than Cersei and Icarus, most of them hadn't talked to each other in hundreds of years, right? They all went off and did whatever. And, and I mean, even, you know, even to, to the point of where, uh, Makari, the, the speedster, so, you know, the flash, uh, the speedster of it, right? Effectively, if I'm understanding the, the beats of this movie, spent five thousand years That's in the right. ship buried in a she rock. She was hanging out right, in you know, the ship. You know, she was just That's on, another like, one. They, when they all left, like, like she stayed in Babylon, you know, because you know, which is you know, Babylon becomes you know becomes where uh, becomes a rack. But it's like you know, so basically, it seems to be that she just <laughs> hung out in the ship for five thousand years. Dude, I, right? I, you know, so, I even so, forgot that character's name. Until we started this yeah. podcast, I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. so sorry. Like, I feel terrible about it. But I had, I mean, I I could say the fast one, I could say the the deaf one, but I didn't know <laughs> yeah. her name. Like, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's yeah, terrible. Absolutely. Yeah, yes, it is. Well, they don't they don't say her name. They don't really say her name that much, right? Because she's in the she's in the bottom of the ship. But is this a team or just just a group? No, of but but Ocean, I see where you're going here. I see where you're going here. That you're saying they're not a team, but. I'm saying they are a team, and the purpose of this movie is to give us a climactic battle at the end that allows us to get satisfaction that we have a mighty force against evil, and what we actually have is three or four that actually stand against evil, and the other two were, like, reading books and hanging out because they just sort of largely disagreed. The problem is they didn't have any purpose demonstrated purpose for not being there. They just had nothing better to do, right? Mm, they, right. I, they, an ideological worldview, I disagree with uh, you guys, so I'm going to go get coffee, is not <laughs> the material with which you build a superhero action movie. Not, not for a character dumb. in the story, yeah. No! It's very upsetting. Right, but but I guess, though, but JJ, would you not uh, forgive a, a little bit of that, given that really until... Pete brought that up. Did you? you didn't, I totally you forgot notice? it. I didn't did even notice. notice? <laughs> I mean, that's right? the thing. So, but there's so, so many characters that so I've like forgot. Okay I was like, uh, I mean, it, it's 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 a it's a retrospective angry point for me because it's like, <laughs> yeah. wait a second, what happened to Kamal Nanjiani? So, yeah, <laughs> they wrote him out of the big battle. Exactly. If I were him, I'd be pissed. Right. <laughs> well, he he and Karun were just you know contemplating the next movie role. I guess. All right. Um, so. <laughs> So, but okay. So, uh, I guess uh, going on from that, I mean, you know, so let's just kind of button up the last two bits of the. You know, there's so many characters, and there's a couple of the smaller ones, right? So, there's Druig, 
whose name I thought was Druid for quite some time, and I thought that was kind of cool, right? Uh, but he's, he's basically, I, I found, and, and JJ, you can let me know if you thought this, is, and you may or may not have felt the same way. I found that I was comparing them to X-Men. So I said, okay, yeah. well, Druid, that's that's Professor X. Sure. All right. And then, you know, Makari, that's, you know, that's Quicksilver. Yeah. And then, you know, and I had, you know, it's a, and then, uh, you know, the Fastos was basically Forge. Of course. Um, and, and so, you know, so then I kind of, that's kind of how I just started to understand, and I, that's how I started understanding them until I figured out who they were on their own. Um, but with uh, Druid and just kind of roaming the earth and then uh, Fastos and all the ways that he's really instrumental in the evolution uh, of, of mankind and, and bringing things, you know, bringing them forward as far as, you know, he wants to give them the steam engine back when they're only ready for the plow, you know, and then they, and, and, and they right. hint towards that he's, you know, and that's one thing that, that I thought was interesting. They hint towards, is he responsible for them understanding and creating the atom bomb? Or did you feel that he was just, that was kind of just a, a shoehorned in scene? It, that was a tough scene for me because I didn't, I mean, responsible for, he his role on the team is for the human evolution of intelligence. And so he, they are explaining this, this Hiroshima, they're explaining a, an event in history by uh, fastos giving us the knowledge for the atom bomb but it 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 just feels confusing because then he's weeping that he's done this it's if if it happened then if then was the tempo, the the turning point and ajak again was there trying to console him or trying to change it it's still confusing why 2014 they didn't stop Thanos, right? I mean, this, these are the things. They knew these things were happening. If he already had the turning point in World War II, why? It's just not consistent. That's the hard part for me. So, yes, it feels shoehorned in because it's not consistent with what the story is that they're trying to tell us, which is unfortunate to me. Well, but the in in that part of it, his his problem with it was he felt that they should not have used this technology to kill each other. Right, because there's there's several aspects of the atom bomb where you there there you could create product you could define productive uses of these of these energy yeah these sort of energy things. Stuff, sure. but yeah, there's tons of positivity where they just said, hey, how can we militarize this and make this negative? And that his his reaction was to give up on humanity. Um, but however, I did find um, you know that his reaction to give up on humanity it is a little bit you know kind of like you could say it's a little it's. it's I don't know that it's inconsistent because I, I felt that it was inconsistent only in that he cared about humanity in the first place, right? Because I, I, I was kind of on the Icarus train where I was like, I don't know why you guys care about humans to begin with. But um, the fact that he cared at all to be, for the first place gives up it. And then uh, then, uh, uh, then also, Pete, he then finds somewhere along the line off screen true love. Right, and then they, you know, they provide another uh, piece of this movie where they are, and I, I agree with that. I believe you said it earlier, JJ, that they are building relationships with humans, and that that piece of it is, um, you know, more compelling and 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 uh, makes you kind of warms your heartstrings more than the relationship with each other. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that that's my that's my take too. And and again, let's let's just call it one more time. We still haven't really talked about the deviants. <laughs> Which is ultimately well, just, their purpose, just, right? Just to put a little book in, just put a little book in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the deviants are far less interesting uh, than, than a lot of the other stories. But then I think that, and I'm curious then what you what you what you both think then. So and now and Pete about about the deviants and 
potentially the missed opportunity of they've created effectively a super deviant that can absorb the abilities of the others, which is new, right? Or at least, or maybe he's been frozen in ice for 5,000 years and then just came out. And would that have been a better source of, you know, evil in a sense to make it maybe there's only one deviant that is going off doing this or, you know, to have the, the mindless hordes that, that seem to be the required, uh, the required modus operandi when you have, you know, cosmic armies. Well, yeah. And, and what's really interesting about that is that the deviants in the books were not mindless hordes, right? They, they were actually a counter to the Eternals, also created by the Celestials, but they weren't like just, you know, rabid, you know, sinew dogs. They, they actually had identity and they had identity and names with were they just, humanoid in the yeah, books? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so they were, they were also called the changing people. Um, and they had names like Burke spelled B-R-R-K-K hmm. and Vn spelled V-N-N. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it, it is, um, it, it's just like some deep cut stuff that this movie ended up making the, the, the the celestials you know mindless and maybe it's because that's where we are in the in the cinematic universe timeline and we just haven't had the opportunity to see what the deviants become because what they do tell us in the movie is the deviants have the ability to evolve right and evolve Mm -hmm. very very quickly right and so that sort of um, uh, of like spectacle, genetic spectacle is something that I would be interested in seeing. I was not interested in them when they were rabid sinew dogs. I was much more interested when they had identity and they had identity for all of about a minute and a half of screen time right. before the one that I cared about was sliced to right. pieces. And and I cared much less about the the fact that the Earth had been turned into a giant egg for a celestial, and all we got to see out of the celestial was just, you know, that piece of its head coming out of the ocean. I I found myself wildly underwhelmed by that set piece. Like, well, and you had talked about that you were excited to hear me talk about the, the look of the movie, and I think, you know, when... I saw that Chloe Zhao was going to be directing. I was kind of excited to think of a cosmic film that would be less driven by fake things. I I thought that would be something that could be brought to this film. And while there is a lot of beautiful... (laughs) It turns turns out I still am. (laughs) Right. right. And, And while there is a lot of beautiful shots of wild, open space and things but there's constant fake things in this movie that are not really special unfortunately because they are just mindless and not purposeful and not connected to anything this is like if we compare this to dr strange for example like dr strange is littered with fake things right littered with these ideas but it's all connected to something that's purposeful and you're given the backstory of what you're seeing in this visual this visual change this visual creativity that isn't explained to you ever in this movie you have to just go with it you have to go with the fact that the the deviant is sort of this cartoonish rainbow mindless freakish zombie dog that you are going to enjoy. And I never really enjoyed them. I agree that I started to care about the one with an identity, but he was still another fake thing. And ultimately, what I wanted from this movie was to marry the concept of the reality and the practical of what you could do with this with something that was purposeful in its explanation of those fake things. And that never happens in this movie. Pete, you talked about the little bit that we get from Tiamat, the the celestial that's trying to be born out of the earth. And it's 
I mean, it, it's just, it's like an overgrown rock formation. There's nothing to it. And there's nothing that's sort of connecting you to the human experience in this movie with the view of what's done from a computer-generated piece. And that was terribly disappointing to me. I, we can jump ahead to a spoiler here, too, with the, with the first cutscene. And when you get Pip... And Pip coming out and is an almost completely computer-generated character, and it was terrible. Like, the graphics on Pip were some of the worst graphics that I've seen in a Marvel movie yet. And I just don't—we're this far along, we've got to do better. It, it would is what I would say about that. And I expected more from Chloe Zhao because I really like her filmmaking. And I can see what she's doing behind the, the scenes in making things pretty. But the computer-generated stuff here was way too much for me. Yeah, I, I I found that um you know since you brought up Pip and that scene, I I found that to be an interesting experience when I saw that in theaters where um you know they're introducing Eros and they're introducing Thanos's brother and that's, that's my favorite be, part you know, of the movie. Harry Styles is, comes right. out and I started cheering. Exactly. Well, that that's the thing that was interesting for me when when I watched it and Harry Styles comes out, everyone in, my, in the audience in my not everyone but pretty much most of the audience I was watching started laughing, right? right? And it was just, it was just kind of a yeah. funny comical thing. It was a joke, right? And so. And I found myself looking at my kids going like, is that Harry Styles? Like, am I, is, is, is that who I'm seeing right now? Right. And, and so I, I, I don't know that that necessarily, I guess it's going to, we'll find out in future movies if it works that they cast him as that because he's, you know, not necessarily, he's not known as an actor. And then, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're taking a, a singer and then throwing him into the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a superhero, whether or not that works. And so I think that, that of the two post-credit sequences, um, that was the one that I found uh, less less interesting. You, you know, the the more interesting one uh, for me, uh, Pete, was the introducing of uh, with the, the one at the end with Dane Whitman, where they're introducing the Black Knight character. And so I don't know if you were were you already familiar with that, or did you have to Google that as I the same as I did? So I I. I do want to to just sort of celebrate a little bit that before we get into that post credit scene, how fun it was for me as a Game of Thrones fan to see Jon Snow and Rob Stark uh, on right. screen again, both of them in the same frame as a character named Cersei. I thought that was just <laughs> delightful for me, I, and I don't know if that's a real subversive uh, uh, like humor on behalf of on, on the part of Chloe Zhao, but I, I thought that was really fun, and the fact that we get two Dunkirk alums in Harry Styles and Barry Keegan. Right. Which uh, which was a, a terrific, a terrific film. So I thought that was actually really cool. Um, and, and so I, I did like seeing Harry Styles, but I'm with you. The the Black Knight introduction, I thought, was really interesting. And the fact that the Black Knight and Dane Whitman as sort of the third generation, potentially Black Knight character uh, in his family comes from such a complicated kind of history whether that character has been lampooned or whether it's been uh, taken seriously and what the power of the of the sword is. I really liked the nod to Excalibur when they were playing with all their goodies in the lab. Uh, I thought that was fun. So those little twists, but as, you know, one, our colleague uh, Kyle wrote after he saw the movie, he was like, you're going to have to get out the official illustrated history of Marvel in order to understand what they're doing here. These are some pretty deep cuts. Super deep uh, cuts, yes. And, and so... I don't know. Are they are they deeper cuts than choosing to make the first Marvel Cinematic Universe film Iron Man? That was controversial at the time, too. I, I think this is probably deeper. 
It feels like it. I'm a huge Black Knight fan. I was a subscriber to the Avengers when he led the Avengers. Oh, so awesome. I know kind of the history of that character. And that's why, you know, you asked me which Eternal I was going to be. And I, I promptly jumped in and said, Dane, because I like that character and like the curse that he's going to be under and all these things. The other piece that is the big spoiler about that is, do you have you guys read who the voice is that speaks to him? Uh, yes, it is. I have. And I, I can, I will let you say, but yes, I, I read who it was. Well, it's Mahershala. Ali and going to be our blade coming up. And I have no idea how those people are connected in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, how blade would be connected with the Black Knight. But wow, that is. Yeah. You, what are OK? Let's look at this next phase. There's going to be some interesting things happening. And so so I want to go back to the first thing Pete said, right? It, because that is the key thing is what I wanted from this movie. The bar that, that, that I wanted for this movie was that I wanted the Eternals to get me curious, greatly curious about what they're going to what Marvel's going to do in the next phase. Nothing that they did with the Eternals made me feel that way. Everything about everything else did. I'm very excited <laughs> to find out about Star Fox. I'm very excited to find out about the Black Knight. And oh, my gosh, how is that going to connect to Blade? All this other celestial cosmic nonsense. I don't care. I it, it, like honestly nothing that the characters did for me in it, that the Eternals characters did for me brought me along to there. I don't I have no affinity to any of the Eternals characters at this point, but everybody else I'm really excited to know about. So that's where I'm left with this movie. Yeah, I that was a really interesting thing too because with the, at the end credits it says the Eternals will be back dot 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 and oh, I wanted the I wanted the rest of that sentence to be like, you know, if you want us to otherwise we've got stuff. Like <laughs> I I just I kind of wanted to move on. Right. Okay. So then I guess that's a good segue then to uh, you've already kind of said where you um how it met with your expectations. So then uh, Pete, how did this movie stand up with what you expected? Uh, you know, it it met my expectation. I was worried about it going in, and um, I, I thought it was going to be uh, too big, and I thought it was going to be too obscure, and I thought, honestly, I think Chloe Zhao, I loved Nomadland, and I didn't feel like this really fit, and it. I feel... I my opinion that this movie met that expectation. It was not a good fit. It was not a, a good um, sort of resolution, and and it made me sad. It because I know how big a movie this is, and I know, and I I say it is beautiful. Like the things that I saw, the art and craft that went into making the movie was gorgeous it really was legitimately and if i if i cared about the characters more i would i would be more interested in the interaction of of the the digital art that was on screen with the humans and mostly it just made me sad got it okay well um for me i guess it it really didn't meet my expectations i think that part of what i have found with the marvel cinematic universe this far along too is that i it's it's when it comes to the origin story parts of things, it's, it's almost like I have to feel I have to reset my mind to it, right? So we're we're so many movies in in now that I found that I'm spoiled by the MCU, right? And that, that even though they make great origin stories, the origin stories part are less appealing to me because I feel like, oh, let's get moving on to you know the action in the story, that what's going to happen next. And in this movie, I, I felt that I had to then you know reset myself back, similarly like I did with Shang Chi. Was like, okay, I'm going to learn about a new character and all the things are going to be new, but but also I. I, I view it, I think that uh, part of where it did somewhat exceed some of my expectations because I thought it would just be a normal uh, origin story of new heroes on Earth that are these Eternals and we have to figure out why. That at the end of the movie, and I don't, I don't know how much you, know, you guys noticed this, but none of the Eternals, at least as Eternals, are still on Earth. 
Right. right? And that, you know, because Sprite is, but Sprite's normal. Right, mm-hmm. but the, you know, you have the, the there's three th- three of them. You know, Athena, Macquarie, and Druig are on a ship going somewhere to find other Eternals. Right, Cersei, Kingo, and Fastos are on trial, and Icarus, Gilgamesh, and Ajax are all dead. And so, it, I think that it was it, it ends up being a tentpole for Marvel that they're going to potentially bifurcate the MCU into a cosmic and you know Earth. Uh, sections in effect, right? And that this was the jumping off point of, hey, we're the MCU is cosmic now, and that we're going to have a cosmic area of it, and that these characters are eventually going to be the driving force around what happens on that side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I, I admit that I, that is a positive spin, but that is what I that is what I think. Well, I you know I'll take that spin because I there is a part of me I, that that I think is is challenged by this movie that the. Uh, the, the the bad guys are so much larger than a planet that the scale is so out of skew for my brain that it's hard for me to care about the stakes. And I I feel like, you know, maybe separating uh, and, and really teaching me, teaching my brain to really relate to the celestial stuff, to the to the what's going on in space, it, it might be useful to do that, to take the time to give me a couple of movies or a Disney Plus show to actually let me reset about why and how to care. There is just no way that the scale of what they demonstrated whenever, you know, they went to talk to the big to Big Red, uh, <laughs> that you would be able to see uh, you know, Ajax uh, or Cersei <laughs> in the frame as that little dot. Like that was they, they needed to get Gareth Edricks, uh, Edwards to direct. They needed to get <laughs> some. They needed to get the scale of the Death Star coming into focus at the end of yes. Rogue One to get us really 100%. understood uh, to understand what we were looking at. That was ju- it. Was just a visual miss, and I think that made it hard to to wrap my head around. So I yeah. I support your optimism, Ocean. That's basically where I land. Oh, I. And I still have optimism in my heart. I just don't like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that, I, I have think that's optimism a, in my heart. Optimism in my heart. Okay. Well, so then, like, maybe we should then let's, let's try to quantify that. Um, sure. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're on Letterboxd. Uh, True Story FM's family of film podcasts are all a part of the Next Reels HQ page. Uh, Letterboxd is a great way to track movies you see, write your own reviews, and be a part of a larger community of film lovers like yourself. Sign up for your own account today, and if you upgrade to a Pro or patron account, use the discount code NEXTREAL at checkout to save 20%. This, uh, this discount works for renewals as well. Um, so uh, keeping in theme with the, the letterbox theme, so I'll start with you, JJ. What did you, what, what did you give this from a one to five stars on letterbox? I gave it a two, and it, the place that I put it in, uh, in Flickchart told me I should give it a one. So I think that I'm even making apologies for it here when I do it because I think I think it is a beautiful movie, and I think this represents that optimism that is in my heart. But I gave, gave it a not like. It It did come up as my lowest rated Marvel movie. Um, and I mean, comparing it to Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi is, was a far superior movie to this, uh, just in terms of execution. It, it it was interesting. It had me all the whole way. This movie was boring. I, I was checking my watch. So it's a two and a not like for me. No, 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 no heart. So the uh, the optimism didn't make it all the way into your heart. Well, not my letterboxed heart. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, Pete. Yeah, I I think JJ and I see eye to eye. I am also a two star, and uh, I'm not going to give it a heart. It is my 
Um, it, it's it is my lowest rated Marvel film on Flickchart. It is uh, it just didn't show well. But it, as a demonstration of how I generally feel about Marvel movies, even at the lowest level uh, of uh, the lowest rating, it is still a seven point five out of ten, and it does indicate that. I should rate it at four stars elsewhere, which I oh. think is a sign one that my letter bo- or my flick chart is broken right now, <laughs> and uh, and I need to re rank a lot of other things. Uh, but the, two, it it just really, I, I mean, I love Marvel movies, I really do. I I have a good time with the escapism and the make believism of them, and I I'm, I celebrate them. I I saw an interview with uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, talking about you know when he was asked like, what do you think about being the kind of actor you are and being in a Marvel movie and, you know, do you, would that make you nervous? How do you feel? He says, no, no, no. I, I take it as absolutely seriously as every other movie that I do. It is my job and my responsibility to make everything, whether I'm, I'm wearing a cape or a cowboy hat, believable and, uh, and, and to take make believe seriously. That's what I'm paid to do. And I'm lucky to do it. And I think that, you know, I love the people who make these movies who recognize that they're lucky to do it. And sometimes, sometimes there's a miss. Uh, f- fair enough. I, I found that my letterbox experience, while my, uh, my letterbox experience did match yours, Pete, that I, it ended up being a, on the lower end of my Marvel movies that I rate. But again, it did say that I should have it at four stars. However, my uh, watching experience didn't match a four star experience, but I, I do feel this was more of a three star experience. And I, I do three stars with a heart. I actually do want to watch this movie again and think that it will ultimately become very important for the rest of the MCU, especially given that, uh, I think there'll be a, there'll be a cosmic arm that is separate, and different, and unique from everything else, and that this is the you know the jumping off point of all of that because they are all off off world after the at the end of this movie. But you know I recognize that that is me making a prediction, and if my prediction is right, then I'm like then it'll be great. But if they go a whole separate <laughs> other way, brilliant. yeah, yeah. exactly. If my prediction is right, then I'm brilliant and it's right, and everybody's going to watch this movie three or four more times just to catch up on all, all the get all the details of what happened and if i'm wrong then it's like well okay well, then i was wrong but if you're I wrong even, maybe we, we'll just come back and recut the show so maybe you should do two <laughs> there endings you go. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah so yeah the other one is i knew this they, they would go another way and ruin all this stuff yeah so yeah, yeah. So, so yeah so i give it three stars uh with with heart and i um I, I i expect i will enjoy watching it again um however i think the second time i watch it it will be in the comfort of my oh room. you're not gonna yeah. rush back out to imax to see it again okay no, no, right. no, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to run right out and see it again. So All right. No, sorry. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining me tonight to talk about the Eternals. Um, so, is there anything else you'd like to talk about that's going on in your True Story FM life, JJ? Well, we've just finished. We've wrapped up another season of Trailer Rewind, and we are getting excited for the next season of it. But probably won't start until the new year. We've got some new ways that we're going to go about things, and some really fun series coming up. So check us out in 2022, and don't uh, stop checking out those back uh, those back episodes as well. There was a lot of interesting and intense movies we did over the past couple months. Uh, thank you, and uh, Pete. Is there anything else going on for you in the True Story FM life? 
Well, we're still in the middle of our 10th anniversary series uh, celebrating just movies that have been out for 10 years that we hadn't seen, and they're from all over the world. And we're really excited about some of these that uh, that, we've, <laughs> that we've seen, and, and one that we're particularly not. What I'm most <laughs> excited about is Andy and I uh, just recorded, even as we're recording this, we recorded it today for members, a, a little bit of a retrospective episode that we're, we're you know, excited about. I think it's going to be a members-only episode, so members, be on the lookout for that. If if you're not a member yet, uh, check it out at uh, thenextreel.com slash TNR membership. We'd love to have you on board. And then you'd hear this special episode. So there you go. Thank you. And, and don't don't forget to do um, all the other stuff you're supposed to do with your podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, and of course, listen. But perhaps most importantly, share. Please let any of those movie lovers in your life know about the show. The best way we have to get more people listening to the show is you. Thank you. And uh, coming up next month on the film board is House of Gucci. Gucci. It was a name that sounded so sweet, so seductive. Come meet the family. Everybody, this is Patrizia. And this is my family. Kick these teeth out! They had it all. Wealth, style, power. Who wouldn't care for that? It's you, my nephew. I've been the Gucci all my life. It is an empire. You can help the family. Gucci's not exciting, and everybody knows it. At least it's my name, sweetie. Our name, sweetie. Gucci needs no blood. Gucci is what I say it is. This is not a woman's game. Remember that. Madness. Who does he think he is? It's time to take out the trash. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grand's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. 
And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash Originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash Originals and get your next read today. Music